I'm going to be reading to you a, a very familiar passage, a lengthy passage, but very familiar because we've been in it uh, for some time here in this particular series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let's just listen to the words again from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, Do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise in my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, 
he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or more, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I want to welcome you back to our series uh, on the Holy Spirit. So far, at this point, we've looked at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've looked at the various roles of the Holy Spirit. Now we get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the last couple of weeks, we've kind of started diving into these different gifts. And today's topic needs no flashy introduction, honestly. Uh, this is a doozy. We're talking about speaking in tongues, perhaps one of the most controversial and debated issues in the church, let alone when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And honestly, when you start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, unfortunately, I think that speaking in tongues has kind of become the poster child, right? Uh, when you, if you were to tell another Christian friend, hey, our church is going through a series on the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it, there's a good chance they might say, oh, are you going to talk about that weird tongues thing, right? They just, your mind just jumps right there because it's, it's supernatural and we don't always understand it and there's just a lot of controversy that's swirling around it. And um, it tends to be a really polarizing gift. Uh, I find that Christians tend to either embrace it so much they just go crazy with it, as in our context in Corinthians here, or they just reject it altogether. Like, that's weird, that's crazy, we're not doing that, we're not going there, we're going to stay in what we know. Um, and so our task is kind of some, be somewhere in the middle, right? To, to be handling this as the scriptures tell us. And that's what Paul's trying to do here in the church in Corinth. He's trying to correct an overemphasis on speaking in tongues. Now, uh, I recognize that everybody in here is probably at a different place with this particular issue, right? I'm not sure where you're at. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for coming. But you, you might be sitting there thinking, what's the quickest path to the door for when this gets weird, right? Like, oh, I did not know what I was getting into when I, when I said yes to coming today. I can assure you, this is, you're in a safe place, all right? We're not going to let this get crazy today. But maybe you are a Christian and maybe you grew up kind of like I did and you were warned, like, don't hang out with those people that do that weird tongues thing. 
Like, those people are crazy. Like, those are chandelier swinging people. Stay away from the tongues people, right? And, and so here you are today like, oh, I don't know. What's, what's going to happen here today? Or maybe you grew up and, and you did believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you experienced some misuse of the gifts. And, and speaking in tongues might have been one of those gifts that you experienced um, abuse or misuse in it. And so you just kind of have a resistance to it. Um, or maybe you, you, you have been raised in the church and you appreciate the gifts, and this is one of the gifts that you just benefit from, and you're like, what's the big deal? It's just a, just a great, wonderful gift. No matter where you are today, my hope is that for all of us, we could begin and end where Paul begins and ends this text. He's got some beautiful bookends here in 1 Corinthians 14. Look how he starts. He says, pursue love. And the whole chapter before is all about using love with the gifts, that the gifts are worthless if we don't have love and use them in the context of love. But then he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And if you're like me, you've probably gone through seasons where you earnestly resisted spiritual gifts, right? Like, that's weird. That's crazy. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be one of those people. So I've, I've found myself in the past earnestly resisting spiritual gifts. Paul says, no. Even in this context, earnestly desire. Whatever God's got, like that's what we want our heart to be at Life Church. Whatever God's got for us, we want that. Even if it doesn't make sense on its face to us, even if it's a little bit outside the realm of our, our current experience, we want it. There's always a yes in our hearts to whatever God can give us that brings us closer to him. Amen? So we want to earnestly be desiring spiritual gifts, but look at how he ends the passage in verse 40. He says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let me tell you something, friends. If we can somehow bring those two things together when it comes to the spiritual gifts, that we would earnestly desire them and seek them, but that we would, we would practice them decently in order and we'd be diligent about that, that's a recipe for God to show up and do some really cool things in our church. And so that's my prayer for us today. So let me just lay out really clearly where we're going today so everybody can just... Take a deep breath. We're safe. Just turn to your neighbor. Tell them you're safe. Nothing crazy, crazy is going to happen today. We're trying to demystify this thing a little bit because honestly, this is part of the problem. Like we, we feel like this is just so weird that, that nobody talks about it in kind of a frank, upfront way. So uh, here's where we're going today. We're going to do a message that's going to feel a little bit like a Q&A with the Apostle Paul, right? Or maybe a Bible study as we walk through 1 Corinthians 14 and try to lay some foundation for what this gift is, how it operates. You're going to get to hear from our very own Alicia Peterson. She's going to come and share how this gift has really benefited her in her life. Okay, um, So I want, I want that to demystify it a little bit. It's, not, it's really not weird. Um, and then we're going to actually get to practice it today because um, sweet Jeannie, Jeannie Omland approached me this week, and I was talking to her about this, but I didn't ask her to do this. She said, I think I have a, a prayer to give over Life Church in my prayer language. And so at the end, she's going to come and pray over us in our prayer language, and we're going to ask for the interpretation, just like we're told in the scriptures. So nothing today is going to be out of the, uh, out of, outside of what Paul says for us to do in the scriptures, but I want you to have a heads up because that's where we're going. All right, so that'll be at the end of the service. And we're just going to dive right into what Paul says and how he coaches us a bit. But first, just a little background on what's going on here in Corinth. So Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's responding to a letter that they've written to him, right? We don't have the letter that was written to him, so it's kind of like us eavesdropping on one side of the conversation here. But clearly, he's dealing with some significant issues 
um, surrounding spiritual giftings and, and maybe people sort of like trying to one-up each other with these spiritual giftings, and they had placed a super heavy emphasis on tongues. Tongues had become the forefront gift in the church in Corinth, right? And Paul's sort of trying to pull it back into its rightful place. Be kind of like if you came into my house um, right when I discovered one of my girls had eaten a whole tub of yogurt before supper. Now, you would hear me lecturing them about not eating yogurt, and yogurt doesn't have a bad name in my house, but if you came in at that moment, you would think, wow, Dave's kind of dogging yogurt. Maybe he doesn't like yogurt for his kids. Yogurt's a fine snack. It's, I have nothing against yogurt, but in that moment, it would seem like, oh, uh, we're trying to kind of rein things in here. It's not a good thing to eat right before supper because you won't eat the other things, and Paul's kind of saying, like, you guys have gotten carried away with this thing, and you're kind of neglecting some of the other spiritual gifts that are more important, so he's trying to pull it back into its rightful place, and that's the context that we're in. So remember that if he seems a little negative about tongues, he's not negative about it. He's just saying, like, it's probably one of the lesser gifts, um, and you should pursue other things more than that, and by the way, that doesn't make you better than other people, all right? So that's where we're going here today. A little Q&A with the Apostle Paul. Question number one, what is speaking in a tongue? What is it? Let's look at verse two. Paul says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Um, in his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem defines tongues as prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. So something you say that you don't, the speaker doesn't understand, and it's typically in, in the form of prayer or praise. Uh, the Greek word here in the text is glossa, which also means language, by the way. And I don't know why this has happened, but it's always translated speaking in tongues, which I think just makes it weird right away, doesn't it? I mean, Nathan joked around about the cow tongue. Uh, but we just get these weird images, and I think that's unfortunate because if, you, if I were to say speaking in different languages, that's just so much more helpful, right? You know what it's like to, most of you um, have taken another language class, you've been to another context, or you have two languages that you speak fluently, and you know that you can switch in and out of them as you please, and that's a lot what it's like to speak in tongues. It's just another language. Same interpretation there of that word, and so that's how I want you to think of it. It's speaking in another language that God gives you that you don't understand either, but it's, it's another language, okay? It's not something that we, we don't lose control of ourselves, not a trance-like state that we're just like sort of a vegetable and our mouth is moving. That's not what it's like to speak in a prayer language or a tongue. Okay, so question number two. Are there different types of tongues? The answer is yes. We see two types of tongues in the scriptures. The first type we see in Acts chapter two. Remember at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's poured out on the disciples? And um, they start speaking in other kinds of tongues, but they're not the kind of tongues we see here in 1 Corinthians 14. They're actually earthly languages. Because remember, the, the people gathered around say, how is it that these Galilean men can speak in our language? We hear the, the great works of God in our language. So they're actually earthly languages. That's the first kind of tongues. And the second kind is what Paul is talking about here in our text. He's talking about a prayer language a language that nobody understands. He says he utters mysteries in the spirit. No one understands him. As far as I can tell, all of Paul's instructions here to the church at Corinth have to do with this kind of tongue, the prayer language kind of tongue. Okay, which brings us to question number three. What are tongues for? Right, what are tongues for? Well, I think there are three, um, 
really distinct ways that this gift operates and, and functions that it has in the church. And the first way it functions is in global missions. All right? Now, obviously, um, you can understand how this would work as it worked in Acts chapter 2. Um, Kayla, for instance, has, has done global missions. She's been overseas several times. She aspires to do more mission work. One of the toughest parts about doing global missions is understanding the language, learning the language, getting the language so that you can minister to people the gospel in their context, right? Um, well, let's say that she goes someplace and God just downloads that language on her so that she can share the gospel. It's a pretty cool gift, right? We should pray for that, for, the, for our missionaries that go, that, that when they get into circumstances where it really is essential that people hear the good news for the first time, that he would just give them the language and that they could speak it out. I think that's an awesome thing for us to pray for, okay? I've heard of it happening. I've never experienced that type of tongues. The second type we find in, in, uh, or the second purpose is what I believe is the primary purpose. And this is uh, by far, I think, the most common expression of the gift. And this is for a personal prayer language. Look at verse four. One who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So it's a personal prayer language that's used for edifying yourself, building up yourself. Um, it's, it's for your prayer closet. It's for those times where you don't know what to pray. How many of you have that every now and then? You just get stuck. It's like my brain is tired or something, or I'm just, I just can't put all the sentences together. And, and God gives you this for those moments when you don't exactly know what to pray. It's really helpful in those times. Um, look at verses uh, 14 and 15. Paul says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So Paul's talking about kind of a state of mind. You're, you're not unconscious at all, but your mind doesn't have to produce something. It's kind of in a neutral state, right? And so, so when the spirit is praying through you, your mind can be in a neutral state or it can think about um, that person that you're praying for, and it doesn't have to think about putting those sentences together, all right? Um, and so I want to have Alicia come on up. And do we have a mic? And she's going to share a little bit about how um, her prayer language has been a blessing to her. And so take it away. Thank you so much for coming, yeah. Alicia. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes. Um, so in my own experience, I've used my own prayer language. I kind of see it as creating space for the Holy Spirit to move and speak into my life in that present moment. And as Pastor Dave already mentioned, um, it's really great for those moments where I don't know how to start a prayer, or I'm feeling dry, or I'm just really distracted and I can't focus. So I just begin by praying and even singing um, in the Spirit um, is the way I like to see it too. And honestly, you know, as I do that for several minutes, um, the words come, the words flow, and then I know what to pray and I know what to speak out to God, whether it's a prayer or a praise. Um, I would also say that um, using my prayer language, uh, the Holy Spirit has really moved in powerful ways in that he's really uh, given me words and pictures um, and visions and scriptures um, that I then just journal out. And then I come back to several times over and over. And I'm just really deeply encouraged by this gift. Um, it's not weird or crazy. Um, it is very natural, actually. There's just a natural flow. Um, it's not like I'm striving, um, which is the really kind of the beautiful thing about this gift. Um, and I would even say just another thing. Um, 
I've seen the Holy Spirit use this gift even to convict me of sin and evaluate my heart um, and really assess where I am and kind of reveal those deceptions that uh, maybe I believed. And But then in, in place, he's ready with that truth, uh, ready with that picture or that word of encouragement um, to kind of spur me on to just keep pressing in. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Thank you so much. I love how Alicia's um, testimony really lines up with verse 15 of what Paul says here. He says, what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. So he's not saying, hey, just totally like check out on prayer and just pray in the spirit. But he's saying like, allow that to fuel the thoughts, to fuel the actual sentences coming together. Um, and so it's kind of a both and, and I love how that works itself out. It's really a cool testimony. So that's the second purpose, and that's the primary purpose, that tongues is, it is a unique gift of the Spirit because it's primarily for you personally, right? Um, and that's not normally what the gifts are for. Normally the gifts are for the building up of the entire body of Christ. Okay, and so that brings us to the third and final purpose of tongues, which we find in verse 5, and that's the edification of of the whole church, the whole body of Christ, when the gift of interpretation of tongues is present, okay? So this is the way that it really builds up the whole church if it's, if it's used in tandem with the gift of interpretation. Paul says in verse 5 that if we speak in tongues, we should desire to interpret so that the whole body can be built up. We should want this. And his logic throughout the passage is simple. If you can't understand someone, how are you supposed to benefit? Have you ever been in another context or maybe just interacting with someone from another country that didn't speak your language and maybe you said something really kind to them or they said something really complimentary to you but you just kind of looked at them with like a blank stare? And that's what happened to Ginny and I when we were in Swaziland. I got to preach in a, ser- in a church service on Sunday morning and thankfully I had an interpreter. But I noticed I would say something and be like, man, I thought that was kind of good. Why they're, not, they're just not reacting. And some of them probably knew English but then the interpreter would say it and their faces would light up. And that's what it's like. Paul's saying, hey, how, nobody's going to get anything. Right? It's, it, you, can't, you can't gain something from some, some, someone unless you understand what they're saying. And so that's the third and final purpose of tongues is the edification of the body. And we should seek that. And we will do that today. Um, question number four. Does every Christian get the gift of tongues, of a prayer language? This might seem like a silly question since we haven't asked this question about all the other gifts, um, but there are pockets of charismatic denominations and teachings that say that, uh, well, they say different things, but they say that the gift of speaking in tongues is available for every believer um, and that there is a separate experience to salvation called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that is a place where every believer gets this gift of a prayer language. I don't think that lines up with Scripture, and that's not what we teach here at Life Church. We teach that some of us will get it. And it's a gift like the other gifts, and it should be used in that context, just like the other gifts. Um, I think the rest of the New Testament speaks to that as well. And Paul himself makes it pretty clear that not everyone gets this gift in chapter 12. Okay, so chapters 12 through 14, Paul's really talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is kind of an interlude where he talks about love. But in chapter 12, he says this when he's talking about how there are many members in the body, but just um, one body. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. 
Then he starts asking these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So his answer to all these rhetorical questions is no. No, not everybody speaks in a tongue. So you're not a second-class Christian if you don't have a prayer language. Just got to say that. Like So many um, people that I've met that, that have lived a long time in charismatic circles who didn't get this gift wind up being really hurt and feeling like God's rejected them or something. No, no, no. He's just giving you other gifts, right? He's just giving you other gifts. So don't sweat it if you don't have the gift. You still earnestly desire whatever gift he has, but don't sweat if you don't have tongues. Uh, question number five. Can women use this gift in church? You thought I might avoid this, but I'm not. Uh, verse 34 and 35. If there's something less popular than tongues, it's what Paul says here about women. All right? And I almost feel like we should just apologize. Like, I'm sorry for my friend Paul, ladies. I don't know what got into him. All of a sudden, in verse 34 and 35, he says these things, and, and uh, it's just really hard what he says here. And this is really strong language. And here's what I can tell you. I can't take the whole bunny trail here. Uh, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission to the law, as the law says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Ouch. Um, you know, I, I can't take the bunny trail all the way, but what we can say here is that scholars um, widely disagree on what this is there for. Okay? They widely disagree. There's lots of different reasonings. What most, almost all scholars agree on is that what this doesn't mean is that Paul's giving a blanket prohibition on women speaking in church, as we should be thankful for, because Alicia just spoke, and Jeannie's going to in a little bit. Um, but what he's not doing is giving a blanket prohibition on women speaking in church. There's lots of disagreement about what he is doing there, but we know that he's not prohibiting women from speaking in church, because in chapter 11, he already laid out how women should be practicing prophesying, and praying in the church service. And additionally, throughout the New Testament, there are many, many circumstances of women doing lots of things inside the worship service. People like Yodia and Syntyche and Phoebe and um, Junia, all kinds of women doing all kinds of things in the worship service. So yes, women should use their gifts, including the gift of speaking in tongues in the worship service. And um, we can deal with what Paul says specifically there. But remember, it's a letter. We're only getting one side of the communication, and this is one little snippet that's thrown in there that doesn't line up with the rest of the things Paul said, and it doesn't line up with the rest of the New Testament, okay? That's question number five. Question number six, why all the warnings against using tongues in the public worship setting? Why is Paul so resistant? Well, remember the context, he's trying to rein it back in, but he has some really good uh, reasoning for cautioning this gift in gatherings like this. Okay? He's, he's got two big reasons. I think it's twofold. And we find this in verses 18 and 19. The first reason is because it doesn't benefit any other believers. Right? As we've already mentioned, Paul's a big fan of the gifts being used to strengthen the whole body when we come together. And this one just doesn't if it's not accompanied by interpretation. So look at verses 18 and 19. I love what Richard Hayes says about this uh, particular verse. He says, this is where Paul really pulls out the trump card on these hyper-spiritual people in Corinth. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's like, I got this more than all y'all. You know, they're all puffing themselves up by how much they speak in tongues, and Paul's like, I do this more than you. Sorry. <laughs> but, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 with a tongue. 
That's a scathing remark. Like, you guys are way out of line. I can do this more than you, but I'd rather do five words in, with intelligible words that people can get benefit from than 10,000 in a tongue, and we need to hear that, right? That's his first caution. It doesn't benefit people if they can't understand it, point taken. But then the second reason that Paul gives is an evangelistic reason, and we see this in verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Can I get an amen? Right? Will they not say you're out of your minds? Now, the way we interpret this is people are going to come in, hear us all blabbing away in different syllables that they can't understand, and they're going to think we're crazy. That's how I would read that in my context today. But that's not how it would have been read in Corinth. Because see, in Corinth, it was a really hyper-spiritual environment. Cults popping up all over the place. So you could enter any gathering of people and find them in a trance-like state, sort of out of their minds, just blabbing away in different syllables. And Paul's saying, no, 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 don't do this because unbelievers are going to come in and they're just going to lump you together with every garden variety cult. Don't do this. Christianity is not that. It's not this out-of-body, out-of-mind kind of thing. You're still in, your mind is still engaged. You're still very... Um, in control when you're using this gift. Um, And we'll see that in just a minute. But I also think, so that's what Paul means when he's talking to the church at Corinth, but I also think the face value interpretation, how we read it, is also important, right? It's not what Paul meant, but I think it's important for us to just see that. Like if somebody walks in here and we're all blabbing away in the spirit and, and they hear no English and they hear a bunch of other languages that aren't real languages, um, that just wigs people out, Right? And we live in a, in a culture that is really skeptical of faith and religion in general. Um, we live in a culture that believes in empiricism, like it's not true unless I can test it and see it, study it. And so it's not a great way to welcome unbelievers, right? And on top of that, Christians don't need any help being weird. We're already weird, are we not? We call each other brother and sister. Uh, you know, no blood relation, call each other brother and sister. We don't have sex till we get married. We believe in a guy that died and rose again 2,000 years ago. We are strange people. And the New Testament tells us that. We're peculiar people. We don't need any help being weirder on purpose. So we don't want to use this if it's going to make us intentionally weirder. And if you're a non-believer today, we're doing our best not to wig you out with this sermon. I know it's weird already. <laughs> but... but We're trying our best, and we take it very seriously that every year, hundreds of non-Christians come through this church, mostly thanks to Christina bringing her classes, Uh, but like hundreds of non-Christians, you get that? Like, this is a very important thing that we consider every week, and that's why someone comes up and invites people to hear the gospel every week, because we never want to miss the opportunity. That's the big thing, right? That people would hear the good news about Jesus the big thing is not that they would hear how cool and spiritual we are with our prayer languages, right? We want them to know about Jesus, and so we've got to be careful that we don't weird people out. And I think that's, Paul's, or that's what Paul would say to us in our culture today. And that brings us to the last question we're going to ask of Paul. How should tongues be used in the church? If it's got this potential to kind of weird people out, if it doesn't really benefit the body, how should we use it? Well, thankfully, he lays this out really clearly. In verse 27, He says this, it needs to be used in tandem with the gift of interpretation of tongues. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. All right. Look at how much control Paul assumes we have over this gift. 
He says, let there be two or three at most. Let them go in turn. So he's saying, take turns, don't do it at the same time. Nothing weirder than tongues at the same time. And then he's saying, if you don't have someone to interpret, just keep silent. Just keep silent. So he's assuming that we can really control this. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the, um, to the prophet, right? We, we can control this. Clearly, it's a misunderstanding of this gift that it takes over a person, and then they just speak without control. Um, so now, how is this going to work in our church setting? Right? How is this going to work in our church setting here at Life Church? Well, if you have a prayer language and you sense, like Jeannie did this past week, that you would like to give a word in your prayer language, just come and talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders. If it happens during the service, like say it happens during the, the worship with song, come and tap one of us on the shoulder and we'll make a space for it in the worship's time. We just, we just will, right? Now, if five of you come, we might have to go back to Paul's like, okay, well, two or three at most. Uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll save a couple of you for next week. But, but if one of you comes, uh, we'll give you a space to say it and then we're gonna ask for an interpretation on the spot. Uh, right in that moment. And if it doesn't come then, we might say, hey, email us, call us, text us, whatever. If the interpretation comes that week, then we'll give you the interpretation the next week. But otherwise, we can't really do anything with it. We'll just have to hold that word that was given in tongues, and we just can't really use it. It's not necessarily beneficial um, unless we have the interpretation. Other places you can encounter the gift of speaking in tongues at Life Church, perhaps a prayer meeting, we're not opposed to that. That's cool by us. Um, usually people will ask, can I pray in my prayer language? If you're praying over someone specifically and they've asked you to pray over them, it's just really appropriate to say, hey, do you mind if I use my prayer language? I don't really know what to pray for you. Do you mind if I? And most of the time they'll say, yeah, give me both barrels. I'll take anything you can get. Like, I have people pray over me in their prayer language all the time. Like, I'll take whatever. Whatever the Spirit wants to give me, I'll take it. But some people might be like, no, I'm, I just keep it English, please. Um, and, and that's fine, too. Um, you could encounter this at Harp and Bowl. Uh, again, like Alicia mentioned, singing in the Spirit. That's, that's fair game for Harp and Bowl. It's not a gathering where unbelievers are going to be coming. It's a prayer gathering, all right? And so um, you could encounter it there, and that's totally fine by us. Small groups, those kinds of things. But in, in the, the Sunday morning worship service, we're pretty careful with how we use the gift. Now, at the end of the study, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Dave, I get it. I, this is a little strange to me still, whatever, but I get it. It should be done in order. But I'm just wondering, why would God give this gift? Why the gift of speaking in other languages? Like, what's the, what's the reasoning for that? And I, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And as we close here, just think with me a minute for about, some, about something. Uh, Nathan brought up the passage in Babel in his sermon a couple weeks ago. Remember that in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, there was just one language in the whole world. If you can imagine that. Everybody spoke the same language. And their hearts were far from God. Total rebellion against God. And their rebellion against God, they used their one language to promote their rebellion against God. They said, let's build a tower into the heavens to make a name for ourselves. Not to worship or glorify God, but to make a name for ourselves. And God comes in and says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to put a stop to this. And instantly gives out tons of different languages. Right? So we know God's the giver of language. He did it in an instant. Right? And so now what we have is humans' relationship with God is broken and the relationship with each other is broken. They move far from each other. Their community broke and their relationship with God was broken and God knew that. But thankfully, he didn't leave us there. He entered into human history. He became a man. Jesus, the rescuer. And interestingly, as Jack mentioned today, the Gospel of John calls Jesus the Word. 
The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God's Word to us. He's God's language to us that God isn't angry at us, but He loves us. That God doesn't want us far from Him. He wants us close to Him. And of course, Jesus died and rose again to repair our broken relationship with God and our broken community, our broken world. And in Revelation chapter 7, I think this is so cool, we get a picture, we get a glimpse of what that restoration will be like when Jesus comes again and puts everything right and language will be healed as well. He says, John says this, he says, after I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, all of them together, same language, one voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, just picture that. A new heavens and a new earth. People from every part of the world. One language again. Now not using their unity and language to rebel against God, but using it for worship together. And I wonder if tongues isn't meant to be a foretaste of that day where God will gather his people on a new earth, where Jesus is king, and he puts everything right. All the injustices are finally over. All the, every tear is wiped away from our eye. Where we hug and dance and laugh and play and eat together. And worship him with one language. Amen? Jeannie, will you come and will you pray over us? Thank you, Father. Heshenye tu doroko shenye putreyin tosonan kiashonan muteyasote doshonan kiamunda sederi miashote kia toshonan okosederi mushenderi kiaso toshonde. Yasunde Koshendia Boshenediktie No Kiarumushen de Kiapusa Toshon Tiasune Tiashod Tiasunko de Remyashun and Kiasu there Boshon Tiasumun and Tia Tokosh Hallelujah. Amen. Does anyone have an interpretation? If you have an interpretation sometime soon, would you let the pastors know? Uh, we'd like to be blessed through this. What we know, though, is that the Holy Spirit is with this church. It's really amazing. The Holy Spirit has shown up again and again to exercise spiritual gifts in us, to um, bring about salvation. We've seen people come to know Christ here. We've seen miraculous healing here. Uh, the Spirit has been with us in, in all these amazing ways. And, and really what this should tell us is something very clear here. What is very clear is that God wants to be with us. God wants to be with you. And, and he wants you to be with him. Um, 
you know, we have periods of, of uh, you know, we have seasons in our lives where sometimes we're not close to God, where we feel distant. And, and sometimes God allows us to go through that, that season. And maybe you're in that place right now. But God doesn't want you there long term. He, he doesn't want you there long term because his word says very clearly that he has done everything in his power to be with us. In fact, not only has he sent the Holy Spirit and sent messengers to you again and again and given you his own word, the Bible, he's also sent his own son. That's the very core of what we believe, that the Father sent himself, his very own blood, his, his very own son to us, and that this Jesus became a man and lived a perfect life for us, showed us who God really was, and then died on the cross for our sins so that he could take away all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our sin. And on the third day, from the, uh, on the third day three days afterwards, something miraculous happened. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he came back to life. Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why we're here today, because of this Jesus, that we know God through him. And Jesus is calling you today, calling you to believe in him, to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And he'll do something amazing for you. If you believe in him, he will not only save you from your sins and, 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 and equip you to live with him for eternity, he will also enable you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And some of you really need that. You need to, to, to believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you today, too, need to come back to God. And, and maybe you need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to understand that God is with you, to have power in your life, and to be able to bless other people through that gift. God wants to give you that vocation as well. So for all these things, uh, we're going to come together one last time and pray. And if you'd like to stay afterwards and pray with some of our prayer partners up here, we have some couples who are going to come up. They're trustworthy people who would love to pray for you in your life, uh, whether you need to receive Christ for the first time or you just need a, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. They'd love to pray for you. But let's gather together one last time to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Now, through your son, Jesus, you keep on pouring out power. We thank you for your word expressed to us through tongues, your word expressed through prophecy, your word expressed through the holy scriptures. And, and uh, more than anything, though, God, would you bring us together around the very clear word that Jesus is Lord and that we can have life everlasting with him. Thank you for these things. Thank you for this uh, beautiful Sunday. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all this week.